If you enjoy the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at facebook.com slash show, and you can visit our new home on the web at www.tracktune.com slash slipangle. You can also leave us reviews and ratings in the iTunes store. Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today I'm in Evanston, Illinois, at Greenwood Motorsports and Wagons with our buddy Jason Saney. What's going on, Jason? Hey, what's going on? Glad to have you here. Yeah, of course. So thanks for having us. This place is pretty awesome. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, for those of you listening that don't know, um, Jason actually used to do a lot of professional racing um, and, and now is... Helping to open up this, or essentially running this whole place uh, that sells mostly mostly station wagons. So I am a kid in a candy store right now. Uh, you know, there's just tons and tons of things around. There's race cars around. There's old cars that are being restored around. Tons of motorcycles. It's just, it's great. This is like a, a hangout for sure. It's a cool place. It's it's uh, it's like uh, for sure the uh, enthusiasts' kind of dream to be in a place like this and. I pinch myself every time I I show up to work <laughs> at a place like this. Yeah, there's uh, you know there's the bedroom here and everything too. Like I'm gonna have to Airbnb this place next yeah. time I come to town. <laughs> For sure, man. You're welcome. It's 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 a cool place to stay. It's yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, I've stayed here before, and you, you know, like you wake up and look out up from the because the bedrooms on the second floor. You look out over the over the shop, and it's just a really cool, really yeah. cool feeling. Yeah. So, well, let's talk a, a little bit about uh, about racing and kind of your your climb through the ranks. Uh, you know, how did you how did you get your start? Started in autocross, and you know, okay. it's 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 been quite a journey, and I, I've, I'm super fortunate to do some of the stuff that I've done. And uh, but it really all started back in Cleveland. I started autocrossing in a, a 1990 Escort LX. Oh, nice! And it was it wasn't even the uh, it wasn't even the Mazda uh, ba- uh, partnered uh, Escort. It was the one before that, the, okay. the straightforward one, which actually <laughs> it had. If I remember right, it had one and a half degrees of positive camber in the front. <laughs> um, and we start, I started out autocrossing that thing and it was, uh, it was great though because it really didn't have a very uh, high limit. So, yeah. uh, I learned car control, at least understeer so, car like, control. Like, where did you, fast. where did you decide to go autocrossing from? Cause it's, you know, you have an escort and you're like, oh yeah, it's your first natural thought, right? Yeah. I've got so, an escort. Let's an, go autocross. It's an enthusiast car, right? Yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> No, it really all came out of uh, growing up in Cleveland. They had the 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 Champ Car, which you know, R.I.P. Champ Car. Uh, back in the day, they ran at Burke Lakefront Airport, um, and it was it was just a fantastic event. You know, right in downtown, and uh, I went to the first one as a kid. I don't know, I was seven years old, whatever it was, and, yeah. and went there. And you know, what's cooler as a seven year old that already was kind of into cars because you know I had a Matchbox collection and the whole nine yards. You show up and there's these bright neon, you know, winged beasts with turbo V8s like blowing fire and like chasing each other around on the track. I was hooked, you know, immediately hooked. And, um, you know, nobody in my family was really into motorsports. So it was really that event that that did it. And, you know, I think really it's important to have urban based, you know, events like that, you know, places that are accessible 
you know, uh, Champ Car was great about that, doing the street courses, and you know, to a certain extent, you know, um, we still have some of those in open wheel, and but you know, bringing it to people because yeah, instead of making them go to it, exactly, you know, it can become and, kind of a hassle, especially like in today's world with you know tv coverage and things like that sometimes it's you know if you just want to watch the race it's a lot easier just to turn it on on tv definitely and watch for the afternoon instead of dedicating a whole weekend it's without, not like a pilgrimage anymore unfortunately without a doubt and i grew up you know in ohio obviously in cleveland and going to mid ohio was a whole different ball game you you know usually either had to find a hotel or you camped out or you know you went there for the weekend or you drove back and forth all the way back up to Cleveland each night, and it was just a, a bigger deal, which we gladly did. I mean, I'm, we're enthusiasts; we loved it. But you get a bigger and a wider audience if you're if you're more accessible, and you know. And again, with, if it wasn't for that event, you know, I don't think I would have ever gotten involved in this. So, you know, I, I credit that event with, uh, <laughs> or curse that event with yeah, getting yeah. me involved. Either way, <laughs> you know, there used to be a, a Grand Prix in Houston, and maybe it only happened one year, but I was there. Um, and actually I think it rained on race day for the weekend. So I actually got pulled out of school to go. I think they reheld it on Monday. So it was the coolest thing ever. I think I was like six or seven, you know, getting to go to the Grand Prix of Houston, um, Texaco Grand Prix of Houston. I still have like a big like cup, um, from it. And it was just really, really cool at that young of an age to be able to go experience that, you know, there's, and bringing it up close cause you'd always see photos and things like that. But you know, it's, it really, it kind of changes things for you. It does. And, and, you know, and, and when you look back at the history of racing, even a lot of the great permanent circuits started out as, as road, you know, just closed off roads. Yeah. And there's just something special about it. And I, I, you know, I hope we don't lose that as we go, you know, as we keep going forward, I hope there's, there's more and more street races, but you know, from there, I just, I wanted to be involved. So, um, you know, funny enough, we were just at the auto show here in, in Chicago, um, last week, uh, and it was the auto show, I think in Cleveland, uh, that really hooked me because, uh, and it was Dorsey Schrader was running Trans Am at the time. And he mm-hmm. had, they had uh, in the Ford booth, they had his Ray Bestus, uh, you know, Trans Am car. And I, I was hooked and it was behind the little velvet ropes and I pulled the ropes out of the way and I'd like snuck in there and I sat in it. And it was really honestly, and it sounds so cliche and silly to say it, but a little sit- sitting in that car, I was like, "This, I want to figure out a way to what it's. What do I do to to drive race cars?" That was, yeah. you know, that was the moment that really did it. And you know, for me at the time, autocrossing was what was accessible. So, had this escort, I pried the hubcaps off and went autocrossing. <laughs> it's better to pry them off than lose them out there, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Take someone's shins out, you know. Well, and that's <laughs> funny. Like I showed up. I showed up like you know not knowing the first thing about it. And, you know, the people there the, at the events were awesome. You know, they take you in and they tell you what, you know, this is what you need to do. And the first thing they told, oh, yeah, you're going to have to take the hubcaps off. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it was that was that was how it all started. And okay. then, you know, just it grew from there. Um, you know, I started, I my next car was an oddball car after that. I tried to autocross a, a VR6 Corrado. Oh, nice. So with the with a big yeah, old, know, like, big old heavy engine ha- hanging out in front of the front tires. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we were talking to Ken Liegenfelter, and he said that he really wanted a G60 yep. Corrado is to, to kind of add to the collection. Yep. So uh, he was, you know, we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And uh, that was something that he he specifically named. They're cool so, cars. I mean, that's, that's one of those cars, you know, I think that. You know, and, and when you look back, is it's going to stick out as one of those real special yeah. cars. It just was a, it was way ahead of its time in the way it looked. And you know, I was a Volkswagen head at that time, and it was just a cool car. And yeah, 
Um, you know, so, so I did that for a while and ended up autocrossing an S2000. Okay. Um, and uh, was fortunate enough to get connected with some great people. And we put together a situation where we actually, it was kind of unique, where three of us shared the the uh, payment on the car. Oh, really? And we took it around all the national events and ran national. So were you guys like all co-driving it all at the same we time? Did, so you yeah, had like three? Was... How, did, how did that work with the organizers? Like how did you? Well, it was... It was <laughs> Uh, it was t- two of us in the open class and then okay. one in the ladies class. So. Oh, okay. That makes more so, sense. Yeah, and was, I was uh, thinking like three dudes. Yeah, th- yeah. <laughs> and then I was kind of like, well, how would you get like three people in the car to go to the events? Like, there you go. Obviously, you bring a support vehicle. Yeah. We, uh, that'd we be def- a pretty funny picture. It would. It would. <laughs> but I was fortunate enough to get a couple of championships in that S2000. What, that what class really were you guys fun. racing in back that then? That was so back then it was in B stock. And okay. everybody's probably chuckling right now because it's now it's, in, I don't know, whatever. It's in super stock B, or whatever. B Street for. Is it, is it B? street now yeah yeah it, well it was a for a while and then yeah i know they bumped now. it up and then bumped it back down but it and... was uh at the time you know we were we were we were in b and what, we were, what year was that uh it was, i was i i so it was funny i came uh the first year we ran was 2001 i came in third 2002 okay. i came in second okay and 2003, I finally won. Nice. And I got another one in 04. So. so 2001, that car was relatively new. I mean, yeah. I guess you guys were having to do a lot of R&D yourself, huh? Was there we, a lot of testing? We and did, stuff? and we had we had a lot of help at the time from King Motorsports. Yeah. Um, and they were a Moton dealer. And we were, um, and so we did some development with Moton at the time. Uh, Lex Carson was involved. And yeah, it was down in Atlanta, fun. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was a fun time. We did, uh, we uh, had, you know, a lot of fun developing that car and it was just it was such a fun car to drive s2000 you know about s2000 yeah. they're just a blast so yeah um definitely fondly remember that time don't not too fond of all the diff changes we had to do doing pro <laughs> solos but it was especially all those launches yeah, yeah they're, for sure uh, yeah so those cars they're great but that's kind of at least an autocross that's like the achilles heel of it that is, car, yeah. is, the, is the diff it is so. but you know it's it, it was uh it was a fun time and actually it was it, it when that f- car first came out, I was super excited about it, you know. And as an enthusiast, you see, oh, there's this like 9,000 RPM lightweight, you know, sports car coming out. This is the best thing ever. And I saw one run at a local event, and it was, it was kind of clunky. It was like not handling very well. It looked like really nervous. Um, but then I went out in 2000, the 2000 Nationals, Gary Thomason who's a very accomplished autocrosser, uh, had one that was really set up well that uh, TriPoint um, slash Pro Parts had helped uh, with some of the parts on it. Um, and then he had some Coney 28s on it, and he had the thing dialed. And yeah. I watched that thing go around the course, and I'm like, that's what I had expected. <laughs> and that was what kind of sent us in the direction of getting our own. Okay. Did you guys ever run the really light JDM wheels? We had those, yeah. Yeah, yeah man, those things. Mike Cohn has a set of those right now. Yeah. The car just looks awesome on them. Yeah, we had, we had a set of those. So it was... Uh, yeah, it was a full like it was a full effort. We had all the right bits for it and it was it was fun. It was fun to do that, you know, in an autocross, you know, in any form of motorsports, you know, prep as you know is is everything, you know, getting all the right pieces and doing all the development, doing all the your preparation up front and yeah. you know, so it was a good lesson too and just in in doing that and it was good um good learning experience in how to set up a car uh I think SOC class autocross is a great place to learn, start learning about car setup because you get on the track um, and the rules are, are, are such that you can change spring rates and all these parts. You can kind of get lost in starting in stock class. If you just have adjustable shocks, you really have to zero in on what those shocks can do yeah. and you really learn about it fast. It's more a driver's, a driver's series and an engineering series. Definitely. And, you know, it, 
the less things you have to change, the more you can learn about the car. Yeah. You know, if you start out driving a car with adjustable geometry and, you know, wings <laughs> and everything, it's, it, it's yeah. too hard. It's too much to, to really compartmentalize yeah. and learn about. So. And the other thing, too, you know, for me, there's a lot of people that, you know, I'll be at the track and they'll, you know, the car won't be handling just right. And they're like, yeah, I think I'm going to change this and this and this before the next session. I'm like, you're never going to figure out like what, you know, how, yeah, how which you thing fix worked. the problem. Exactly. Yeah. So you just got to do like each, each one individually. So definitely. So, so as far as autocross goes, I mean, you went from, you know, from the escort, uh, and you know, pretty much drove the wheels off that thing for a little bit. And oh, then yeah. the, then the Corrado, yeah. then the S2000, you know, going from front wheel drive to rear wheel drive stuff, especially with such a high revving car and what some people might call more difficult to drive, you know, an S2000 to me, I've been around them long enough and it's just kind of like the first sports car I ever had. So I didn't really know any better, mm-hmm. but you know, what was it for you? Um, you know, kind of going up, you obviously autocrossed it for a couple seasons. Yeah. I, I think for me, it always, in this is carried through even to this day, as far as driving style for me, starting in front drive, I got really early on, I got used to understeer and, yeah. um, you know, understeer is such a dirty word for so many people <laughs> in this, in this game and in this sport. Um, and, and, you know, for enthusiasts and racers alike, it's just like, it, it's a curse word almost understeer. Um, so I hate to even say that I like a car that understeers, but I kind of do because I can be a little bit more aggressive with it. Starting yeah. out from an autocross, um, I, you know, I, you, you kind of have to pitch the car around and throw the car around. So, um, you know, having a car that's really nervous and quote unquote loose, if you will, is, is a liability as far as I'm concerned in those situations. Um, so when I went, when we set up our S2000, we set it up probably uh, a little bit more towards understeer than a lot of other people would have. We had a huge front bar that was a solid, um, it wasn't a hollow bar. It was like an inch and a quarter solid front bar. Yeah. And the, everything that we did with the shocks, we were trying to get the car more and more stability out of the car. Um, and, you know, just from all of the driver coaching and the development and the engineering that I've even since done, so many of the this like understeer problem that people have with the car, they were kind of creating driver wise anyway. Yeah. Um, there's certain things you can do behind the wheel um, that cause understeer. Yeah. Like if um, you're real aggressive with the turn in, you know, just or just on the throttle too and, early. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially in a low powered car, if you're on the throttle too early, you know, most people think that you know the car should just keep turning, but you know, if you've got all the weight off the front wheels, there's nothing to keep the front turning. And so, you know, there's all these things that just in my driving style, you know, and different things work for different people. I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. Uh, but for me, because I started in front drive, when I went to rear drive, I, I wanted a little bit of that understeer to be in the car. Yeah. So now for, you know, for some of the um, the shock settings and stuff like that, would you just typically stiffen up the front just a little bit more to get it to push than the rear? Or what, what kind of tips would you give people if they wanted to set up a, a rear wheel drive car? wanting it to push a little bit. Yeah. We, I mean, we ran because we were in stock class, especially we ran a lot of shock. We we really worked, you know, but we, yeah, turning up the front compression definitely will do that. Um, we actually, uh, a lot of the times would, would reduce rear rebound when we needed to, to get it to tighten the car up a little bit. Um, you know, but again, you're having to do so many slums and transitions. We, you can't soften the back too much because then it'll get sloppy in the transition. So it's just, it's always a balancing act. Yeah. I always like to tell people, with, especially with double adjustable shock absorbers, a lot of people are, are kind of afraid of them. But I always like to say it this way that it just imagine wherever you're having a problem with the handling of the car, imagine 
what the shocks are doing and that helps you figure it out. In other words, if you're having a problem at corner entry, you're talking about front compression and rear rebound because the car is, you know, the, diving, the nose yeah. is diving. So it really just take you have to always just take a step back and think about what's going on when you're having the problem. And that's hard to do, you know, it's, you know, especially when you're starting out and you don't have a lot of experience, it's hard to recall some of that stuff. But, you know, um, that's my advice is just think about what the car is doing at any given, you know, what are the shocks doing when, the, when you're having your issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I know when I started autocrossing, I was kind of, I didn't want to blame anything on myself, you know, like, so I was always it like, happens. yeah, I was always like messing around with, you know, tire pressures and things like that. And really the best thing that I think I could have done was just focus on driving. You know, it's real funny. I don't know if I've told the story before, but the first autocross I ever went to the first two sessions, uh, I kept getting DNFs and I didn't know why. And, you know, there was this back straight section. At least I thought it was a straight. There was a cone laying down and I just kept going straight. I was like, oh, this is badass. We're going like 65 miles an hour in a parking lot. <laughs> yeah, it turns out it was definitely a slalom. Yeah. So. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, that's so it's just really know, it's, kind of funny. It's, it's part of it. You know, yeah. you got to do the slaloms too. Yeah. I've seen that quite a lot where people people blow by the slaloms. Well, you know, I was expecting it to be like, okay, you know, this first cone tells you which way to go and the next one tells you which way to go, but they only had it at the beginning, you know, and then you're just supposed to, to follow it from there. You know, and, and my like, my thought process of autocrossing or my imagine it, or how I imagined an autocross before I ever did it was that it was like a little mini road course. Yeah. So I'm thinking there'll be straightaways and there'll be you know, a really good autocross courses don't have any straightaways yeah you know it's really busy and it you know it's i I credit it very much um in my development as a driver and you look you know you look at guys like brandy pobst and um you know peter cunningham and you know there's there's jeff altenberg there's so many guys that came from autocross were successful autocrossers yeah that then became really successful road racers as well because i think it's just a great training ground it teaches you car control um you know it teaches you I think one of the best things is that it teaches you is learning a track quickly. Yeah. Because we're doing a different track every every weekend and you can only walk it. Yeah, and you might and you might only get four or five laps that track. Well, and at know? nationals you only get three and yeah. and that's it. And it's a high it's a high pressure. And that's another thing it's great training for is a high pressure environment. You know, I remember uh I think it was I can't remember if it was two th- well, let me put it this way. The 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 way that the tires were when we ran World Challenge, we got one lap. So even though we had a twenty, thirty minute qualifying session, it was it was like single lap qualifying because the tires were that good on the first lap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's sort of situations like that that you call back on the autocrossing experience of being at nationals and having two runs down, one to go, and you got to make up half a tenth and, you know, you've got one last run to do it. But if you hit a cone, you get two seconds. It's just this real fine line between aggression and precision and and with all that pressure on to do it in one run, you know, I was able to call on that and have some really good qualifying performances in World Challenge. Yeah. Now, what was your what was your first solo nationals like? What year was that? Oh man, this is going way back because <laughs> the first solo nationals I went to was uh, would would have been um, I'm trying to remember what it was it was a, a I I borrowed a friend's Dodge Neon and uh, it was when they had a ton of contingency and. You know, I was that's I, back during like their spec wheel to wheel series that they were running definitely. and everything. Yeah, you get the ACR package. I want to say it would have been ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that. Okay. Maybe even ninety six. It was probably ninety six. Okay. And you know, I took the car out there and I'd done, I'd run it, I'd co driven with him at a couple of regional events and done really well. You know, done well on the index and you know, um, really 
kind of was like on this mission to go to nationals and like who's this new kid in this neon you know and i think i want to say i came in 42nd or something like that because i got out there and i overran and another great lesson with autocrossing i overanalyzed it i'm like this is such like a big deal i got to do well you know and i got in my own head i walked the course like 50 times i had like notes on where every little pebble was and once they sent me on my first run I completely forgot all of that. <laughs> I like drove past the first corner and like looked back over my shoulder, like oh, I should have turned there. And it just was I was completely psyched yourself out of out sorts. A yeah, bit. yeah. <clears throat> so that I mean that again is is um, I heard somebody say it once that you know it's funny it was it was it was somebody that was that was really successful at nationals. They had won several championships, and I said to them, I, I asked them, I'm like, how do you prepare for nationals? How do you how do you prepare for this big of an event and what's your, and they looked at me like I was crazy and they're like, this is just any other autocross. They're like, I don't approach it any differently. And it it was a big light switch for me because they were so shocked that I would even ask that because it was just another event for them. And from then on, I, every time I went to nationals, I treated it like any other event because really it is. It's you're doing the same thing you do every other regional event, national event, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Okay. So now after the success with the S2000, when did you start getting into more, you know, road course stuff? Did you start with track days or, or what? How did that kind of progression go? So that was, uh, at the time, um, there were, the uh, Spec Miata was, was getting quite popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they had a pro series. It was in before the MX-5 Cup. And they had a East Coast and a West Coast uh, Miata, pro Miata series. Um, and so... Um, with uh with the help of uh some friends we kind of decided to go that way in fact um i'll call him out for this but uh scott zellner with king motorsports uh i wanted to build uh, i was think thinking i wanted to build a, a honda crx road mm-hmm. race car and try and do the the arc in atlanta and the whole nine yards and he was a honda shop and we were you know doing the s2000 together and all that <clears throat> and he's like no you need to build a, a Miata. You need to build a Mazda. Really? They're, wow. He's like, they're, they're, you know, heavily, more heavily supporting like this kind of racing. Like if you want maybe. to move forward, you, you should, you should build a Miata. Yeah. Actually at the time had gone to Houston and bought a CRX donor car and like taken all the sound deadening out and the interior out and like was getting ready to build it. You didn't sell it to him, did you? No. Oh, I was going to say I that, sold that it was to motivation. One, I sold it to one of his employees though. <laughs> okay. it, it, it was, uh, it was a good little car, but that, um, so then we got Miatas, and uh, I was with uh, with uh, my uh, ex Julianne at the time, who she and I worked really hard together to build the cars and uh, for Spec Miata, and go to all the Miata Pro races. And we we did uh, with a friend of mine, Sean. We did um, the in two thousand four, the first year. We just jumped right in. We did. I basically did like a driver school and maybe a couple like a regional or two and then basically get, went right into yeah. doing the pro series Picked it up pretty so, quick though huh? and i did and again i credit autocross yeah um you know but there's you know some differences with with obviously driving on the track you know there's just some different techniques and there's been a lot of debate especially online recently about that like on some of the uh the facebook groups about you know 
if there's if one translates to the other or vice versa. Yeah, but, if you um, if you want to start any sort of drama in any sort of driving group, yeah, uh, ask them you know what's better to get your start in autocross or road racing and which drivers are better. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's a, it's a flame war waiting to happen at yeah. any given point. But what I know from my personal experience is that everything I learned in autocross helped me in some way. Yeah, because even one of the things that I think that hurts. Uh, an autocross to road race transition, which is hand speed. My, you know, going through a slalom and on a really tight course, you have to turn the wheel a lot faster than you ever do on most road courses. Um, and it's hard to slow your hands down enough when you've done a lot of autocross, but then you go to a certain track and, uh, for a long time, uh, we were based down at a uh, motorsport ranch in, uh, outside Fort Worth, Motorsport Crescent. Crescent. Amazing um, facility, by the way. It's cool. It's definitely, I, I've, I've maybe have without a doubt more laps on that track than any other track. Cause we were based right there. Yeah. Um, but they have a section called rail snake, which is a really tight, yeah, twisty up section top for the one seven. <clears throat> and I could own anyone through there. Cause yeah. I, I could call on those autocross skills. So again, like I said, even just about everything I learned in autocross in some way transition, then I had to learn new things, obviously, race craft and you know running side by side with cars and in how close you can get to cars and that sort of thing you know that uh race craft side of it was what i had to pick up that you can obviously never learn at autocross but um i definitely credit autocross to to giving me immediate success in the first i i think the third race i did a top five um was able to be on the podium pretty quickly um in the miata cup and then 2006 we kind of joined up with MER and um, moved down to Texas and started doing the MX-5 Cup. I uh, was able to win a race in the first season and championship the second season. Okay. So now going forward from that, you know, pretty much starting with the the pro, pro Miata, I guess, at the time, uh, and then transitioning into, you know, different different cars, what, what was the next step after that? So, you know, again, I was just looking back, so fortunate to be involved in some of the things I was. Mazda's... Uh, was just starting out with their driver development ladder and winning the MX five cup would gave, gave you an opportunity to step up to the world challenge uh, series. And at the time, TriPoint was running uh, with, in fact, Randy Popes um, and Jeff Altenberg were running um, the Mazda sixes, the little blue and white Mazda sixes in, uh, in the touring car class. And uh, Tyndall was running as well. Okay. Um, you know, it was, it was just a great time for touring car you know, we there weren't a lot of cars. I think there was, you know, 12 to 15 cars at most races in, in the touring car class. But just all quality cars. You had Bimmer World there. You know, um, you had Real Time with Acuras. You had TriPoint with Mazda 6s. And you had Tyndall with Mazda 6s. And then you had some odd competitors here and there that were great as well. So at any given moment, you might have 15 cars on the track. But you might have 10 that could win. Yeah. You know, it was Cunningham, Kleinabing. Whitmer, uh, you know, some of these guys are, you know, touring car legends have won so many races and I just, I'd pinch myself that I got to do, to be involved in that and to run with a team like TriPoint who at the time, you know, were at the, just at the top of their game, you know, and they were, um, you know, Mazda stepped me up to that series from, for, as a, as a award for winning the MX five cup. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's just an incredible time. I mean, and, uh, we were able to win the third race out at Miller Motorsports Park. Uh, and it was just a, it was a magical time. Yeah, I bet. So, so moving on from that, I mean, what, um, I know that you did a lot of, of MX5 cup stuff more recently. 
Um, but we were talking before, too, that you actually, you know, I guess, what was that, 2009 or so, you ran in the 25-hour Thunder Hill? Yeah, we actually, but with MER, we used to do the 25-hour every year, and we um, were fortunate enough, uh, we got a, again, it was one of those funny stories, almost like going back to the first time we came, we went, I went to nationals where the first time we went to the 25 hour was, uh, was, was in Oh six. Um, and we had just done our first season of MX five cup. We'd just won the championship. Um, and we went into the 25 hour just thinking we were, you know, we had everything figured out and we got out there and, you know, transmissions were blowing and we just were not prepared. We didn't have our, 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 we didn't prepare the cars well enough. And, you know, it was a huge learning experience, but uh, I'll never forget it. Pratt Cole, uh, who's a friend uh, actually from Salt Lake City, a longtime racer, just one of the funniest guys you'll ever come across in the paddock. He, we were sitting in the in the motorhome at like 3.30 in the morning. You know, one transmission was being changed, and it was like 14 degrees out, and uh, and we're like, you know what? this is crazy. What are we even doing? And he's like, this seemed like a great idea. Like <laughs> last week, didn't it? It's not so much of a good idea now, but we learned from that. And we came back in 07 and won our class in E1. It was myself, Charles Espenlaub, uh, Eric Foss, uh, and Mark Miller in a car. And, uh, we won that year. Uh, just, and it was, it was an awesome scrap, ironically with an S 2000, where I was in the car at the end, and it was just a, it was like a wild so time. So one of the CRs that had been built up. Yeah, yeah. The, the Honda guys, yeah. the uh, team Honda, I think. Yeah, and I think those running. cars were caged by a roll cage guy, a roll cage yeah, dude I think from so. Ohio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so it, it was guys, meant to be. Man. They're out of Ohio. Yeah, that, that team. Which which car were you in? What color? Uh, ours was that year was I believe white okay. and gray okay. or white and orange i, can't I think remember. that year there was a yellow one too that like some one of the local like colleges or something yeah was working mm -hmm. on so that was that definitely. was really cool to see definitely but we were in this crazy battle and i'll remember i'll never forget this charles esmolab was on the radio and we needed we were battling with them like in the last hour back and forth and they were a little quicker than us but we were we got better mileage we short filled on a pit stop so we could get out ahead of them, but that meant we barely had enough to get to the end. And I think my I did four minute laps for my last like five, four or five laps. Just no power, just... and and he was managing the gap for me. And you know he's like, yeah, you're fine still. And he's like giving me target lap times to do. Yeah. And I look in my mirror as we crossed under the checkers and took the win and the s2000 was 1.6 seconds behind us <laughs> so charles timed it out beautifully for yeah. me and it was it was just wild so we won in 07 and then even wilder we came back on espen lob and charlie putnam and myself uh we ran uh in 08 in a car with air jacks and slicks and a bigger fuel cell in it um and we were able to take the overall win in a Miata Miata uh, okay. with some real I mean there was a DP car there that broke there were all these cars that broke I mean we definitely didn't have the fastest car out there but uh we won overall which was uh you know one of my my most proud accomplishments as a team owner and as a driver Yeah Yeah let's talk about uh, the team owner role a little bit you know after after you were done well not done driving cuz really as a driver you're never done driving No for sure um but you know what what kind of prompted that you know, move into, into kind of that role. Well, you know, for me, you know, I looked at, I looked at guys like, um, Sylvain Tremblay and, um, Peter Cunningham and, and, you know, they've, they've been able to have, they were able to have, or still are having driving careers as well as run a team, you know, and just financially that was going to be for me, 
I have a lot of the knowledge to help run a team to mm -hmm. prep the cars, build the cars, um, do all the logistics, do all of the behind, behind the scenes things that you need to get to the track and be successful. Um, so I had that. So for me, it was, if I was going to drive, it was going to be a sweat equity thing that I would put in the work at the team and like put the things together and make it happen. And that's how I would get to, you know, hopefully have the opportunity to drive, which worked out for some years and at, at both MER and then later at CJ Wilson racing. And we basically, it was, it was always for me, um, a challenge, you know, to run the, to help try and run the team and try and be successful at it. And, you know, to put in all that work and all those hours. And, you know, we always had just amazing employees and uh, team members that would just, I mean, we did so many hours and just looking back, it was always a challenge to get it done and get to the track be prepared, be successful. And, and for me, it was just as much fun to get, do all that as it was to drive. Um, so, you know, it's just about the challenge and, uh, you know, loving this sport and wanting to be involved in it. Yeah. I think it makes for a more well-rounded driver too, or just overall. I mean, you, you kind of see every facet of it. It does. And, uh, you know, there's so many drivers out there that are, that are really quick, um, but maybe can't tell you, exactly what the car is doing or exactly what they need out of the car to, to do better. And you take that a step further, you know, reliability, um, knowing, you know, what parts are going to break on the car, you know, knowing how to, to manage those things, uh, you know, with, with your, with your inputs to the car. And, you know, those are all things that I've got, you know, in my tool bag because of all the experience I have. And then just even beyond that financially, you know, I think a lot of drivers don't really, a lot of numbers get thrown around, you know, for this season cost that and this season cost that to do. But until you're in that team ownership role and you're you're the one that's writing the checks and seeing where all the money is going, it yeah. gives you a different perspective about how truly expensive it is to do this sport that we all love. And, and you know, I think it's it's a, it's a perspective that I enjoy or I wouldn't say enjoy it. So it's it's. It's just a perspective that I appreciate yeah. having. Yeah. You know, for, for a lot of people, um, you know, I kind of take the same approach with being at just a regular track, track day thing. Um, you know, I, I've worked corners before, and that adds so much more perspective to what's going on at the track when you're there. So you just you start to appreciate those, those things a lot more. There's a lot of stuff that goes in. If you think of a normal, you know, a, a big race weekend – and how many people it takes to come together and make all that stuff happen, not just for a team, but for a whole organization. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Definitely. So. And I think if you look back at, you know, and you know, we've all had our moments, you know, where, you know, you may not always recognize or you may not always think about that. But, um, you know, I think I've learned through all my experiences to really appreciate all of those people. And I think a lot of the best drivers out there, you know, are thanking the workers and going around and, and they're, you know, you even look at the, the guys that are getting interviewed after, after the big race on TV that are, that are truly, you know, it's become like a, just a, a like a soundbite to thank your team. But I think you yeah. can really tell the difference with the ones that truly, truly mean it, mean it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's a team effort. It's a team sport. You know, it's, it's one of those weird things. There's not a lot of other sports that, uh, you can kind of look at it in terms of like football where the quarterback will tend to get a lot of the accolades, but the line is really the one, if the Making line everything. wasn't doing their job, the quarterback would be getting sacked every time. So yeah. 
just like that with road racing and uh, racing in general is, you know, you've got your team behind you. The driver gets the accolades, but the, the team is really who makes everything happen. Yeah. So moving forward, you know, what are what are kind of the racing plans for this upcoming season? Well, uh, you, you you've seen uh, and we've teased that uh, there's a couple race cars here, but we've got uh, we actually uh, ha- had the opportunity to um, to acquire the uh, X Capex three uh, R C30s um, that were campaigned in 2012 or 2011 and 12, I believe. Um, and uh, they're beautiful race cars and have been well kept. And we're uh, actually part of our dealer group uh, here. Uh, we're connected with the Auto Barn. Um, that's kind of the the uh, you know the business front, uh, kind of like structure of Greenwood Motorsports. Uh, the backbone of that is the Auto Barn, and the Auto Barn has a Volvo dealership. So it really made sense for us. There's not a lot of people that you know, would think, Oh, let's race Volvos. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of an oddball car. They're really cool cars. They're really well built cars, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for a lot of people. Yeah. But having a Volvo dealership, it made sense for us. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, the owner, Richard is a racer and very accomplished in his own right. Uh, came second in the runoffs a few years ago in T3 and a very exciting race. And, um, you know, we're going to do, uh, a few world challenge races this year and, you know, we'll see beyond that, but uh, we're really excited to bring these out. We're going to do, uh, looks like we're going to do Road America and Mid-Ohio um, in uh, touring car class in these. Uh, so, uh, and then we're going to run some STU uh, as well at okay. uh, some of the majors events and probably the runoffs as well. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be sweet. You know, yeah. we'll, uh, I think Adam and myself will be at the runoffs at Mid-Ohio this year. Nice. So hope to see you guys there. Should be, should be a lot of fun. Wishing we'll you guys there. the best. Yeah, it'll be exciting. They're, they're cool cars and, you know. One of my my favorite race car uh, to date that I've raced is still that touring car. You yeah, know, that front wheel drive uh, touring car. So that I'm excited to get behind the wheel of these and kind of relive some of those moments. And you know, I've got a lot of experience with that kind of chassis, so it should be fun. I think you need to build a chump car out of a an old Escort. You know, just do a little <laughs> a little throwback. You know, that is a great idea. Yeah, and go, I'm thinking an Escort, Escort wagon, wagon. Would be even cooler. Yeah, that'd you got to tie it in the GMS yeah. wagons. Unfortunately, the C30s are missing at least one pillar. They're not quite wagons. Yeah. They're hatches. But we'll, yeah, let's talk about that real quick because at the auto show, we were having a discussion on what actually uh, constitutes a wagon because uh, Finch swore up and down that his Focus ST was a wagon. Yeah. And both you and I just kind of looked at each other and we we're like, mm, not so much. Not quite. It's all about the D pillar as far as I'm concerned. You got to yeah. have an extra pillar in there. So, you know, and if you have that, that, if there's a window behind your C pillar, a side window behind your C pillar, then we can start talking about a wagon. But if you don't have that, it's that's that's a short discussion. Yeah. And the windows <laughs> we were talking about too, like how big does that window have to be? Yeah. <laughs> and I think we we haven't really come up with it yet. But yeah, it's got to be a decent like sized window. Well, if it's a decent sized window, you look at the C30. Yeah, but see, that's behind the B window. pillar. Yeah, that's true. See the the and then so it's got to be C after pillar the, it's got to be between the C pillar and the, and the D, D pillar. pillar. There's got to be a window. If there's yeah. if that's the case, then you've got a wagon. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, that's cool. at least how I look at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll go to a uh, speed secret with Ross Bentley, and then we'll come back and and talk a little bit more about uh, about Greenwood Motorsports and wagons. Awesome. So let's talk really quickly about uh, some some basic vehicle dynamics uh, issues, and we're talking about tire contact patch. You know, the tire contact patch is that the, the the actual part of the tire that's in 
in contact with the road. If you think about it, at any moment in time as the tire is rolling down the road, there's only a certain amount of that. That tire contact patch is really, the four of those that you've got, those are the, those are the only things that really connect you to the road or to the track. Um, it's those tire contact patches that, that really you're managing. So when you, when, when you can put more weight on a tire, you know, it kind of, it's like, you know, if you're pushing down on a balloon, you know, that balloon would kind of get a little bigger where it's pushing down and where it's in contact with the surface. So it's increasing the size of that tire contact patch, the same kind of thing, when you put more weight on it. The way you do that in a car when you're driving is you're managing weight. You're, you're transferring weight to the front, to the rear, from side to side, and basically what you're doing with when you're using the throttle, the brake, and the steering wheel. So when you, when you lift your foot off the gas pedal or when you brake, you're transferring weight forward, it's putting more weight on those front tires, increasing the size of the tire contact patch, giving that tire more, more contact or more, uh, more traction. Same thing, when you accelerate, you transfer weight to the rear of the car, and therefore the tire contact patches on the rear get bigger. So that's what, you, if you hear people talking about a tire contact patch, uh, um, that's what they're really talking about is, is managing the actual part of the tire that's in contact with the track surface at any point in time. And we're back. Thanks, Ross, for that driving tip. For more on Ross and Speed Secrets, you can visit speedsecrets.com. This next segment was actually recorded before the segment that you just heard, uh, and Jason and I were actually joined by Carl Slikowski, who actually works at GMS Wagons. So uh, there might be some duplicates here, but some really good content. Wanted to make sure that you guys heard it. So without further ado... Here we go. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about uh, what this actually is, because for me, walking around, um, like I said earlier, I could literally live here. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's, it's a cool place. It's, uh, I'll give you a little of the history of it, but really what we're doing is we're trying to, trying to promote that wagon lifestyle and just be, be the source for wagons. So it's a car dealership. It's a tuner shop. Uh, it's, a, it's a place to you know, kind of you know, come and talk about cool cars wagons we've got a little bit of a motorsports aspect of it we've got some race cars in here so a little bit of everything someone something for every enthusiast but the whole deal with wagons as you know uh oh yeah <laughs> because you have one uh you know wagons like enthusiasts get wagons period end of story um you know it's just and it's what do you what do you think that's for like why why do you think that you know enthusiasts get wagons but like not everybody else does i mean there's even some enthusiasts that don't quite all the way yeah and but... I, you know I've thought a lot about it, and a lot of people have written about it online, and, and there's just a lot out there. But really, for me, what it is, I can just say for myself, it's it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a counterculture thing. It's it's like, you know, the the whole market in the in the states has gone towards SUVs because it's just way too profitable for the car companies. You know, yeah. they took a truck chassis and like you know. You know, put like leather seats. Well, in what it was and it we were like talking? Twenty grand more for it. What was so. it we were talking at the Chicago Auto Show? There were. I, did I see a ninety-six thousand dollar Escalade? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> absurd. Like, and how can these companies turn it down, right? So people stopped buying wagons because the company stopped promoting them because yeah. it just wasn't profitable for them. But for an enthusiast, there's no better way to carry all your stuff, to carry all your friends, and to still have a car that you can enjoy driving. You know, it's. You know, there's some fairly high-performance SUVs out there, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a, there's a big compromise on performance, much smaller compromise in a wagon. I think that's why enthusiasts get it. And, you know, just like anything, there's a bit of a cool factor to have something different. So, yeah. you know, I think there's a big part of that, too. 
Yeah, yeah. It's definitely much harder to find a hot SUV, something with, you know, a really beefy engine and some suspension to match. Whereas a wagon, I mean, you basically got the sedan with a bit of extra cargo space. You can get that in the hot spec. You know? Yeah. So, and you can you can steal it, you know, for next to nothing from you know grandma things, yeah. grandma down the street. Yeah, <laughs> depreciation is king when it comes to these things. But yeah. you know, again, like they, you know, what we're trying to do here is go through these cars like front to back and do all of the maintenance and do all the research. Yeah, and find out what the typical problems are with any particular car, you know, like generation car that we have, and take care of all those issues. Yeah. you know, and we're learning as we go, but you know, we're becoming the experts on these. Yeah, you're going to be like the purveyors of fine station wagons. That's right. That's going to be great. That's the goal. And, you know, we looked around a little bit and, you know, there's really was no one doing a wagon only thing. But, you know, we, you know, we, as we all know, enthusiasts love them. So we felt like there would be an outlet for it, especially among our, you know, our core group, the people that we hang out with, you know, yeah. you know, what better than a place with a line of station wagons you can come check out? I think you have the opportunity to introduce a lot of people to wagons, too. So not only the people that are already, you know, know what that wagon life is about, but also kind of show people that it's actually a very attractive option. Definitely. And, I, you know, that's, that's the ultimate goal, right? And, you know, we're trying to obviously build a business here, but, you know, there's a there's a market within our group of enthusiasts but yeah eventually the goal is to go outside of that and promote it and maybe convert a couple of people away from suvs and you know turn them turn them on to some of these wagons which you know there's a few companies that are still doing it right and still putting out wagons yeah. and you know that's great um and what we would hope to do is you know maybe build some more demand out there you know at the auto show i was talking with the guys at cadillac and Ask them if they're going to do a new CTSV wagon, and you know they're just like, well, you know, there's really not yeah. the business case isn't there for us. Well, to before do it. they had, they already had their CTS wagon, mm-hmm. and then they had the CTSV sedan. Yep. And I think what was it? I was reading online like the break-even point for them was literally they only had to build and sell five of them. Yeah. For it to make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but they don't have the wagon anymore no. for some reason. You know, and they were talking about there's you know that the you know that it just the new car got bigger and you know it just it wasn't worth them like looking into building a wagon for it it would have been such a big car at that point um so i get it but you know what a shame is that because the ctsv wagon is you know a lot of people's favorite wagon yeah. out there you know maybe myself included I, yeah. I got the chance to spend a week with one and it was it was one of the best weeks oh, of yeah? my life. What, what were you what were you doing that week uh driving a lot yeah uh, no actually i was in town um visiting and um Actually, Richard, who is our, our partner here, who owns the Auto Barn uh, uh, in Evanston, mm-hmm. um, he uh, had one. He was okay. he was checking it out. He's thinking he might want to. Was it one of the manual one. transmission ones? Or it was auto? actually an auto. I heard the auto is actually surprisingly good. Well, and I was a little I was a little bent. I was like, oh, oh yeah, man, you should get the stick. Come on, <laughs> and then. Um, he ended up with the auto, and, and it's really a good transmission. Like, yeah, I, I don't say that very often about true slush boxes. You know, there's some. I actually do like Flappy Pell, you know, dual clutch gearboxes. Um, there's a lot of purists that don't. I, I like them. I get them. I understand the connection with racing and where they come from, so they make sense to me. I love manuals, too. Like, I'm a, you know, I'm a car guy. I love them all. You know, yeah. There's people that get, like, real territorial about that, you know, but I love, I love all sides of it. <laughs> but the, the, the automatic in that car feels like a dual clutch. Huh. And, it, 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 and it's tuned, the, the actual programming on it, it doesn't override like it'll it won't shift on its own it'll bounce off the rev limiter yeah. like it it feels like a real 
you know, kind of enthusiast tuned gearbox. So I, I mean, I did, I did a lot of burnouts yeah. with that car. No, it was just stop, <laughs> stop you can't, I mean, there's no way that you can, that you can, first of all, there's no, first of all, if I owned one of those cars, I would not have a license for very long. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, there's no way that you can go like in the city from stoplight to stoplight without like spinning the rear tires even a little bit and like giggling that's yeah. just it like the car is just it's it's so ridiculously fast and and then just the fact that you're not i mean that's one of the other cool factors it's like you're in this car you're in the driver's seat you're like getting pinned back in the seat you've got like this incredible interior you know just an incredible soundtrack yeah and then you look behind you and you see this giant cargo space and it's just cool i mean it doesn't yeah. get any cooler than that really it's, yeah, you uh, know what? like name one suv where you can get that same experience yeah yeah. Well, you you can potentially in some of the Porsches, but you know you're spending 150 grand or yeah. whatever it yeah. is, and honestly, again, you're just not as engaged with the driving experience because you're sitting up high yeah. and like you know it's, it's just it's just not the same. From a tuning standpoint, too, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but most of your wagons are based off of normal sedan chassis, so there's tons of you know suspension pieces that are already out there. You know, the R and D has already been done, mm -hmm. so. You know, you just kind of go and search what works on those cars. You might have to up the spring rate a little bit in the rear. Um, but other than that, like, most of that R&D is already done. You can slap some suspension on and, you know, have yeah. a car that handles really, really well. Not only right that, as, we've, as we're sitting here looking at right here in the shop, you know, you can do swaps easily, too, because, yeah. you know, never yeah, tell made. Us, tell us about some of the swaps that you guys have so, around here. So we, we've actually got, and this car was featured online uh, maybe a, a month and a half or two ago now. Uh, M5 touring um, wagon that uh, I guess touring wagon is like saying it twice. ATM. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, was on it was on bring a trailer. It was kind of featured online. People were excited about it. Um, we were already in negotiations with the with the uh, previous owner to to buy it, and um, we've got it now in house here, and we're going through it. And they kind of claimed it was like a hundred percent perfect and it, you know we got it here and come to find out it really wasn't there were lots of little things you know the car mechanically is great but there's just all these little trim things here uh there's pixels missing like mm -hmm. on the on the display like just little all sorts of little stuff that we're just not going to put it out like yeah. that so we're in the process of going through all that but you know they did it right on the mechanical side it's got an m5 drivetrain all the way down to the rear diff rear subframe you know, true dual exhaust, uh, full interior swap. I mean, it's... It's got all the aesthetics, too. I mean, it's got the yeah. bumper. It has the little M5 badges on the door. Yep. The and, rear bumper, too, which... And, and one of the things I love about it is it's got the factory wheels. And, you know, it's lowered a little bit. But other than that, it looks stock. So it yeah. looks as if it could have been a, a stock yeah. M5 that just was never built. But, you know, getting back to your point of, the, of sharing with the sedan everything bolts in it's the same platform you know you can do these swaps very easily and there's several other swaps that we've got um in the pro you know sort of planning stages right now yeah um, we're talking with one customer about doing a v10 swap in an e61 uh wagon so um you know doing doing v10 yeah uh, m5 swap and uh you do the fenders and everything too and get that like nice wide stance got to that'd be sweet man <laughs> um, that'd be sweet we'd love to eventually do i mean goals are very lofty but for us we really want to push the envelope with some of these so yeah. we really want to get into where we're doing i've even um been looking into doing um the new chassis the f 
30 chassis. Yeah. Um, which I guess would be the F31. F31 for the wagon. Um, yeah. Doing the, um, you know, doing the uh, M3 turbo. swap. And doing the full, like, oh. you know, so, you know, we really want to get into, that's you know, a little bit down the road for us. We're just getting started, but you know, those are, that's the direction we're heading yeah. is, is being the expert and putting out cars like that. But then also having, you know, a car that anyone can come and buy. Like yeah. we've got, um, I was showing you the cars earlier. We've got an E46, you know, five speed E46, um, touring that's, you know, or that's going to have nice wheels and, you know, we did all, we did the clutch, we did everything. It's going to be like a really reasonable price. So you'll have everything from that, you know, to these crazy swaps, everything yeah. in between. And, you know, I kind of pointed out that car, if you buy it, you know, you can drive it for a couple of years and save up. And when you're ready to do that swap and, you know, kind of go crazy, maybe put an S54 in it or something. Definitely. You, know, you could have a really cool little wagon that you already know every, you know, everything about. Yep. And have gotten all the other stuff kind of sorted. Definitely. So. And by that time, it might need, you know, some freshening up anyway. So, yeah. you know, why put a stock engine in it when it needs, <laughs> <laughs> it needs one, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that would still probably be cheaper than going and buying a whole new car at that yeah, point. So, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so. those, you know, these, some of these, especially these German wagons are, are built so well, the chassis that, you know, they're going to last. Yeah. You, know, you can, you know, put another drivetrain in it and it's going to get, give you, you know, another however many years of, of, uh, faithful yeah service. <laughs> now what what about the wagon that we took to lunch because that was kind of unique yeah so that was uh, another project that we that we did here we just finished up that kind of that project started before we even kind of had the idea of gms wagons but we kind of finished it up and it does encapsulate what we're doing here uh, we took a, a b6 passat um basically that was traded into the volkswagen dealership with a blown engine hmm um, that and, never happens. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this was another one of those cases where when you pull, you know, you take the oil cap off and you look inside yeah. that it had literally had done 70,000 miles or 50,000 miles without, without an oil an change. Oil change. Oh, like geez. it was just caked black inside, yeah. like just, you know, nasty as can be just completely neglected. So, you know, we took the thing on a trade and, you know, we're kind of looking around and looking at it. At the time we had a, a Mark five, uh, GTI that was like built to the hilt, giant Brembo brakes, like the whole nine yards. But we had to, the chassis actually um, needed to, the chassis was not really road legal. It was like more of a show car, like street car or a race car kind of thing. Um, so we had to find a home for the drivetrain and everything. And so we had, to, we looked around, we had this wagon, we had this drivetrain. So uh, it's basically got an addition 30 uh, GTI engine trans, uh, Quaif differential, giant brake kit, like stage three clutch, coilovers, uh, rotiform wheels, uh, you know, and then we did the interior. We redid the leather with like a baseball stitching and like, yeah. it's just, yeah, uh, that, that leather, like that's what I want to do in my wagon now. Yeah, man, it's, it's cool for yeah. sure. And it's just those details, like, you know, it's, you know, following through the whole project and like making sure front to back, everything's done on the car. It's got a really rare body kit on it. It's just, you know. The kind of stuff that we want to do here so that'll be uh up on the site fairly soon and available we're at um it's gonna not necessarily going to be that cheap because it yeah, really there's is a lot of kind yeah and there's a lot of really cool parts in it but so. i mean it's it's essentially perfect yeah i mean there's nothing that needs to be done yeah and we took i mean we even had the we took the the brand new spec uh navigation unit um factory navigation unit and put that in there and and got it all working with the car so yeah it's basically like as it would be from the factory if they made something like that, which is really cool. Yeah. What I really like, though, too, is, you know, we we're talking earlier how you guys, a, a lot of people might just like 
buy cars at auction and get them detailed and then kind of list them and, and go from there. But you guys are actually making them right. Yeah. You know, like right now we're sitting at your desk and there's, uh, you know, some essentially some HVAC controls here, uh, you know, where some of the buttons are worn and you have a brand new one right in front of it that's ready to go in. So yeah, you guys are taking care of every little thing. Yeah, we're, you know, and again, that's like uh, enthusiasts are, are savvy buyers when it comes to this kind of stuff. And right. Like, you know, if you're just selling a car to, you know, anyone off the street, like, I'm not saying that, like, that people don't care about that stuff, but they don't necessarily notice it as much. So a lot of yeah. dealers, you know, will kind of skip over some of that stuff in the interest of, of, of profit. And, you know, what we're doing here is we are going to be selling these to enthusiasts. We need everything to be right. Like every, you know, we research these cars, we talk to experts and we're trying to figure out because we're learning each of these chassis as we go. Yeah. You know, like perfect example is the E61 uh, touring that we have out front. Um, they have drainage problems uh, with the uh, the um, panoramic, panoramic roof, and you know, like kind of water can collect in the car and cause all kinds of other problems. So, we preemptively have like fixed those problems, and we're going to do that with each chassis. Uh, one of the E91s we have um, has a really noisy sunroof, so we're taking on all of the E91s. We're realigning the sunroofs and getting them all so to the wind noise. You know, there's all yeah. these like little details. And so we're, we're taking that extra time, you know, obviously the cars that we sell are going to maybe be a little bit more than some of the others on the market, but all of that stuff's going to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think people that are looking to buy wagons are particular anyway. Uh, you know, I know for me when I'm shopping, you know, it'll be like, whoa, that wagon's nice, but it's not the right color or it doesn't have the right interior package that I want. Like if you're, if you're wanting to get something as unique as a wagon, you know, you are normally slightly particular about what you're looking for. Definitely. And I mean, enthusiasts, so, we care about our cars, right? Yeah. So, you know, if, you know, you're selling to someone that cares about the car, then we have to care about it just as much. And that's yeah. why, like, this, this whole business was built by enthusiasts and racers, you know. Yeah. You want to tell you know, us a little bit about the history of the business? Yeah. So uh, kind of like the genesis of it, the building we're sitting in here in Evanston is, uh, was kind of, it used to be just a place to kind of work on uh, some of Richard's uh, cars. Uh, right. Richard is is our partner in this, and um, he, you know, he, this really was his idea. We were, you know, I was doing some work for him on some projects, and, you know, he's got a, lot, a, a few cars in his, in his private collection that needed some work, so I was working on those. And we we're kind of talking about it, and we we're like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had a little boutique, you know, enthusiast-driven dealership here? You know, and very quickly we both are wagon enthusiasts he actually drives a polestar uh v60 polestar every nice um you know he's like what if it was wagon you know focused and you know he he and i both kind of looked at each other and eyes lit up and we're like yeah that would be cool yeah you know that's really how it started and then you know um you know basically we kind of converted we're in the process of converting this to more of like a retail from like a from like a you know garage like space to like a retail um, place, um, you know we're in the process of doing that now, and we're going to have a little lounge. It's going to be like a little hangout. We're going to have tons of events this summer, and really start to just be like part of the enthusiast community as this as this place, this destination. People can go and see cool cars. We've got other cars in here being worked on besides the wagons as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I to me, like I said, I could essentially live here. I mean, there's, you know, X-World Challenge cars around. 
there's a couple 911s around, and there's also tons and tons of wagons, which I absolutely love. Yeah. So it's like the race cars and then the race car drivers, daily drivers, uh, you know, which would be the wagons. So we were, we were talking a little bit about lunch on, you know, for some reason you get to a really high level in motorsport, and that kind of becomes like the car for people is a station wagon for, for racing drivers to drive around. I know Mike Skeen, you know, has, has had wagons in the past. Uh, Lee Keen, I know Chris Harris loves wagons, mm-hmm. and you yourself are a racing driver too. For those of our listeners that don't don't know, um, you know you've done a lot, uh, you know, in World Challenge and um, what MX Five, yep. Playboy MX Five Cup, Cup yep. and so. Yeah, and you know, I think again, it gets back to that enthusiast thing. But that reminds me, I need to call. Uh, I need to uh, call Skeen back. And see yeah. I oh yeah, because he's selling. He's selling that one right now. I know. I might want to. I might want to. Put that in stock here at, the, yeah. uh, at GMS. Yeah, and and that's what's interesting too is the fact that you are kind of you know wanting to specialize in wagons. You can't always just pick them up at auction. No, so absolutely. I know you're you know you're browsing a bunch of different places and looking and trying to buy them off of enthusiasts because yeah, know, we're just, we're we're not leaving any stone unturned. We're looking yeah. everywhere for them, and you know, and that's another thing that I want to be known for is uh, actually we're just in the middle of doing a deal right now. I found uh, an 07 E63. Uh, for someone uh, out in California, um, and we're going to be able to do the deal and everything. The car out there, he's going to get his financing through us and like do the deal and do the paperwork, and he's just picking the car up out there. Uh, but you know, there were only 153 of those uh, for three across three years. Okay, uh, brought in, and you know, we found one in great shape for him. He's he's stoked. He's picking it up this week, and yeah. uh, you know, that's the kind of thing we want to do too. Is you know, somebody comes to us and says. Well, uh, you know, you got some cool wagons, but I want this. We'll find it because we've got all the, so we're plugged into all the sources. And, you know, it may take a little bit, especially if it's something that rare. Um, but we're we're looking every day. And I know that's something that, you know, we all love to do is to look for, look for cool, rare, yeah. unique stuff. <laughs> but, you know, most people have a lot of other stuff going on and you can't really always see. But we're always looking yeah. so we can always find that. And some of them, you know, there's a lot of people that are looking for them. So when something interesting does pop up, it usually sells pretty quick. It does. And we're so, ready to move at any, at any yeah. given moment when the right thing comes up. Yeah. So. It is essentially like a full-time job just to kind of like browse <laughs> browse and see what pops up. Not a bad All the time. Bad. No, right. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> So yeah, you guys hiring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're one day. What was it? One day every. Yeah, one day every two every weeks. Two I went. Yeah. I went ten jobs <laughs> and just do one. You know, every every two weeks, and and we're good. You're hired. Yeah. So like Thursdays, <laughs> Thursdays every other week, man. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to remember that. Yeah. Like but. you'll show up and be like, "What? Are you, what hey, what's up? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh your, yeah. You're, it's you're it's your day to work." <laughs> so. But yeah, run us a little bit through the, the history on this building too, because this building is is really really unique. Yeah, uh, we'll have a video popping up here, uh, you know, probably around the time the show is released. Yeah, I'm um, kind of showing people people so they can kind of understand. But what's what's the background? Yeah, so Richards uh, owned it for quite some time. It originally the the original building uh, is kind of in the center here. We've got three buildings, um, and then there was a rear addition put on some years ago, and now last year we put in this front addition where we're kind of based. And where we're sitting right now but basically it was it was uh richard's um you know he would store some cars here for the dealership and at one point i think they were um at one point i know they were detailing cars out of here for the dealership and stuff like that so it was always you know had some sort of use then for a while he would store some of his cars and bikes here and there was 
lounge set up and it would be a little hangout area. In fact, it was lovingly known as the toy box for a while. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's just been, he's, he's, he's just steadily been upgrading it, put in a little like bedroom suite and a little kitchen and bathroom, um, here. And like, so, you know, uh, last year when the new addition went on, he put a roof deck on top of that. So he's just been, you know, kind of working on the, you know, this over the years, like making it nicer and nicer and nicer. And now we get to call it home. Yeah. You know, I've never met Richard, but from hearing about him a lot, he seems like the car guy's car guy, which is, you know, there's, there's a lot of car guys out there that have a decent amount of money that'll just go out and buy, you know, nice expensive things, but it seems like he is kind of like into more the unique things and things that you, just because you have the checkbook doesn't mean you can go out and get them. You have to actively like seek it out. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. He's got eclectic car taste and he's definitely a car guy through yeah. and through. He's in fact, you know, more of a car guy in a lot of ways than I will ever be. I mean, he knows so many details about so many different rare, obscure cars and, you know, he likes to call himself an anorak about this <laughs> stuff. Like he really is like... But it's great, you know. Here's somebody who's he's he's been extremely successful. He's a very savvy businessman, and like, but cars are his passion, you know. And you know, he for the longest time drove an R32 every day. You know, like it's just you know not the normal thing you would you would kind of see from someone yeah. in his position, which is great because it shows that he really loves this stuff. It's not just a job. It's not just a business that he does. He's passionate about it. He cares about it. And you know, that, that goes through to everything that he does. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like he loves, you know, modifications and stuff too. Whereas a lot of people in his position would be like, Oh yeah, I have all these cars, but you know, most of them are stock, yeah. <laughs> you know, most it doesn't seem like that stock. at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've got a few that are, but yeah, there was, you know, there's just a lots of different cool products. Like we've got a 69 alpha spider that we're going to be. Yeah. I saw that tub like, up front. Doing yeah. Like this crazy, like, drivetrain we've even talked about doing a, a two liter mzr oh really you know with like individual throttle bodies yeah. and like the whole nine yards with like crazy modern suspension under that car so just like really cool out off the wall stuff like that um you know stuff that he he loves to do you know i've got the renesis miata here you know just all kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff we've we've got um which we may we'll go if we have a chance we'll go over and check out the 2.5 miata that we put together that's it's a 2013 club edition Miata that we took and, you know, basically built a world challenge engine for it. And it's, it's, it's rowdy and it's just rowdy. <laughs> yeah. You let we me should go over just, and you can videotape and, it idling. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> let me like, hear it, you know, in a video and it yeah. just sounded nuts, it's man. It's got a healthy lobe. Yeah. It's yeah. A it's a crazy, crazy car. <laughs> it's mean. It's like, it's like crazy fast. So it's one of those cars that you drive and you're like, this is, this is crazy how fast this car is. And it's, you know, again, it's, I think we're making right now like 237 at the wheels and we've actually, had a lot of help from uh, Moto East, those guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, Mike Mann over there. Yeah, he came out yeah. and helped tune it, and you know, it's got a lot of his parts on it. His headers, intake are on there, and obviously his software. It's just a beast, man. It's so cool. I mean, and again, like that's a car. It was basically a brand new car. You know, uh, it had I think 450 miles on it when Richard's like, "Yep, rip the engine out, put this 2.5 <laughs> 2. in there." He took a he took a 2010 RX8 R3 and had the rotary ripped out of it and had an ls3 put in it we've got that over there as well so like there's just all these cars that are that are you know basically brand new cars that are immediately like you know yeah. turned into something cooler so yeah no i, I really want to see that stuff so yeah. we'll head over just, there in a bit there's just tons of really cool stuff around that you know 
and it's all in one place too. That's what's so awesome. Yes, yeah, it's, it's and that's you know again. We you need to start charging admission. We should actually. <laughs> now that you mention it, thanks for the idea. <laughs> so everyone, when you when you have to come and pay admission, it's all Austin's fault because it was going to be free. Well, I'll just I'll get I'll get out. a cut. You know, fifty percent. We're good. Ten dollar cover. Yeah, the door. we do want to make it like a destination place. Have a lounge. We've got you know like have a place where people can come and hang out. We've got some cool you know car books and stuff, and we'll have. We just want to, like, we're enthusiasts. We want to share this stuff. We want, like, you know, we want to be a place that people can go just yeah. to see cool things and, like, you know, hopefully to buy cool things, too. Yeah. You know, there's there's a few places around the country where you can kind of, where people are able to do that. But for the Midwest, I don't really think there's really anywhere that, you know, kind of caters to the enthusiast of just an enthusiast overall. You yeah, know, I mean, other places than maybe that, like, like yeah. Forest Park Scars, but, you know, yeah. again, that's like a, you know. That's like multi-million dollar thing. This yeah. Is like we want to be like. Hey, I just bought a $6,000 wagon. I yeah, need a exactly. place to hang out. Exactly. And yeah. You know, we want to welcome everyone in here. And, and like this, it, I'm not saying that they don't, you know. You yeah. Can go, yeah. I, you can go drool on Ferraris. But it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, again, like even Ferrari, when you think about it, like a Ferrari is all enthusiasts love those cars. Yeah. But people that are not enthusiasts do as well, you know, and, and so it has this, this wider just appeal. Just society, just people in general. Really, that's yeah. really what we want to, like, that's what we want to start to do with some of these wagons is, you know, grow a wider appeal. But by the same token, that's why it's going to be this cool hangout because, you know, it's like, all right, we get it. Yeah. So we're going to come hang out with you guys. Yeah. So, and uh, Carl makes some awesome coffee too, so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's yeah, that's, that's definitely also a crucial part. I mean, cars, coffee. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, so, there's gonna be. We might have. Some, we might have to do some wagons and coffee events. I think so you should. If, if you have a non wagon, you can come, but you can't park real close. So. And if you have some rare coffee, please bring it by. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I mean, coffee is. We're coffee nerds, so coffee is gonna be kind of a thing. You need to team up with one of the local coffee places that you know roasts their own, yep. and you can have a, a contest on who can fit the most coffee in the boot of their car. <laughs> there we go. And then whoever wins, I don't know, maybe they get the coffee, or I don't know, they Might get have something. To do some air suspension. Yeah, like the stance guys. The stance guys do the limbo thing, you yeah, know. There you go. But the wagon guys can like see how much stuff they can fit in there. That'd be perfect. I mean, I love it. Yeah, there's there's some cool local roasters that we actually have worked with and just, you know, honestly just purchased coffee from. Yeah. And I say work with. Yeah. We've been customers of them. But we want to work with some local roasters and have some, just always have some some good coffee here. Need that that wagon blend, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. uh, That will be a thing for sure. So we, yeah, just you can get a little bit more on the on the back end. That's right. Yeah, it's gonna be like yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be like regular coffee, but yeah, it's gonna be a little, just gonna have oh, a little. Oh, real more. quick before we go, uh, Carl, let's talk a little bit about uh, about you and kind of autocross stuff. Yeah. Um, I know that you just got an MX5. I did. Yeah. The uh, the ND. I just picked that up last some. Uh, what was it? September. Yeah. And it's just been a real treat. It's a hoot. I mean, it's definitely much more car than I can handle right now, as was evidenced by my first autocross. <laughs> it was it was a treat. I mean, uh, I've never actually done anything yeah. uh, as far as organized racing went before. So we luckily need, I had Jason there to show me the road. You ropes. need to sell that thing and go buy an Escort LX. There you go. And, you, know, you, can, you can autocross that. I hear, I hear it's really good <laughs> as an introduction to the world of motorsports. <laughs> Absolutely. Might, might take a little bit of work uh, pounding all the rust off of one that I could find but uh 
But yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's natural weight reduction after all, right? Yeah, yeah, right? And depending on where it could be, I mean, you could add brake ducts to a car that just never was really supposed to have them in the first place. Amazing. So. Sure. Race engineering <laughs> on the fly. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, uh, the autocross thing is amazing. I mean, what an inclusive thing to do. Um, I had no idea what I was doing my first time out. Uh, Jason showed me the ropes. He introduced me to a bunch of people. Yeah. Did you think there were any straightaways like I did my first autocross? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I, I okay. did spend a lot of time watching uh, watching autocross videos and runs and stuff like this before. And, yeah. And uh, I lurk on a bunch of boards that uh, that talk about cars and racing. And I mean, I've wanted to do this my whole life. It's not like I just woke up one day and decided, oh, I want to go autocrossing today. Well, what What took you so long, man? That's a very good question, you know? That's a very good question. I guess it was just a reluctance to learn a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, I thought always that the barrier of entry would be really high, that you need your own helmet, that you need a SCCA membership, all this stuff. Turns out all that is false, you know? Yeah. Like, you can run a helmet at the place, you can pay 40 bucks and just go racing for an entire day. Yeah, like, really, any excuse that's out there as to why a car enthusiast isn't out there doing stuff there's always an answer for it. Well, you know, for a while, it was kind of a joke. It was called the Secret Car Club of America. And it was, it's <laughs> the whole thing where it's it's like you, nobody really knows how to get involved. And, yeah. You know, like I said, I've, I learned about it at the auto show. And, you know, somebody took the time to tell me about the events and told me, yeah, just lay back, come and try one, you know. But you get there's this air of exclusivity to it that when you're on the outside, it's you don't really you're not really sure well you know will i be judged for showing up in an escort lx or will I, you know <laughs> what is the what's the actual deal here Can yeah I go do these events and you really have to talk to someone you know and i think anytime you know i try to be an ambassador for it and that's what the deal with carl is like you know i we were we i knew he was an enthusiast and we had talked about cars and you know next thing you know we're out at this event with mendy Miata and he has a blast and is hooked and we're going to be running this summer we're going to run run a bunch of events with it get it okay. all set up and you do str with it or well maybe eventually we're going to start yeah, out depends on what the budget street. is yeah well you know i think we want to walk before we run especially carl starting out you know i don't think he needs to be in like heavily modified car like starting yeah. out so uh we're going to start off in c street and then you know, before too long, we may be thinking about making that transition. But okay, yeah, and I'm awesome. pleased as plunge to to stay in C Street. Really, I mean, I I've already spent more money on uh, a set of shocks that are supposedly coming in yeah. soon. What'd you What'd you get? We're oh, doing an, we're doing a set of MCSs. So okay, it should be it should be pretty cool. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Should yeah. be a lot of fun to get these parts, install them, and then. Yeah, run I saw them. you I already have, or at least your winter tires on uh, FF10s. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we're gonna use those same wheels to run some uh, some BFGs, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yep. In the summer. Awesome. Definitely. Rival S's or rival S's. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Should be a pretty fun package. Yeah. We're, we're definitely gonna be on the big front bar train. There's a lot of guys that are trying different rear bar stuff, but yeah. like we talked about earlier, I like to have that stability and we're going to try a big front bar on it. I think Mazda is so. going to start selling some bars too through Mazda, they are, Mazda in fact, Speed, uh, that long road racing actually. Yeah. Makes. And in fact, uh, Ron Bauer is going to be helping out with the development okay. of the cars. And uh, Ron actually ran RS 2000 way back in the day and won a championship in, uh, in that, uh, or came second. Did he win a championship in our car? Well, I should remember that, but Ron <laughs> ran our car and, uh, he's, he's a good, a good longtime friend and he's, he's actually helping a lot with the, the ND development. 
Um, so that'll be cool to to kind of play, uh, you, you know, uh, be able to tap into some of his knowledge yeah. as well. What do you think of the NC um, after spending so much time, or sorry, the ND after spending so much time with the uh, with the NC chassis? Oh, I love it. It's uh, driving dynamics are a little different. It's a little at least stock. It's a little you know rollier. Well, and, you know, I'm used to driving modified. I've got a lot of yeah. miles in modified in NC. I haven't driven a stock NC since like you know the the beginning 2006. Um, but you know it's got uh, a, a decent amount of body roll from the factory, but it's just so nimble. It's so light, pointable. It's it it goes exactly where you want. It's it's got the right amount of. It's got actually probably more oversteer than I would want out of an autocross car right oh. out of the box. Okay. Um, so you know that's probably um, I'd have to say one of the best handling. And they're out pretty, of the box cars. They're pretty quick now too, aren't they? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So. And they're really great in the snow too. Yeah, yeah, that's they what really you're saying. Are. Yeah, they honestly, are. <laughs> See, Miata is still always the answer. As long you know, station wagon's always the answer. Station but, wagon's you know, always the answer. But if it's on top not, of that, if it's not a station wagon, it's yeah. got, it better be a Miata. Absolutely. If you're not, if you're not going to have a whole trunk, you might as well just have you know just two seats. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why compromise? Why and if compromise? you think if you look at our sign, it says. It says wagons, sports cars, and tuning, and that's what we're all about. So it's you're right; it's one or the other. There's, there's no real other compromise as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. you know they you know, they kind of all go hand in hand they too. Do. So it's just uh, you know it's one of those things. Enthusiasts kind of enjoy everything, and I feel like the final evolution of the enthusiast is finally having that appreciation for the, the, the yeah, for the wagons. Definitely, <laughs> and there's even a couple motorcycles over here. But yeah. that's a whole nother. Yeah. that's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother broadcast. So yeah, a lot of the listeners know that I uh, I'm into motorcycles too. So yeah, although we haven't talked about it recently because it's been so cold. Yeah, um, for sure. But <laughs> so well, sure. we really appreciate your guys' time. Where can people find out more about about you guys? Yeah, well, so we're, we're we've got a new website. We're starting to roll out all of our inventory on there, the different wagons that we've got, and talk about some of our projects. It's gmswagons.com. Okay, um, that's the best place to look us up. We've got all the social media. We're starting to 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 put the content out there. We've really been online only a couple weeks, so um, you know you can join on there. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to a newsletter that we're going to do uh, every month, and you know with you know kind of cool wagon content, little I you know stuff that we that we learn about, and uh, the stuff we've got going on here, and then uh, some of the inventory we've got. So. Um, you know, lots of cool stuff, man. We're going to be doing some cool swaps. Uh, we've got some cool swaps. We're going to be doing some videos uh, featuring the cars. Um, and we're always going to keep a log on there of all the cool wagons that we've done in the past. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, watching you guys progress. And, you know, if I, if I had the means, this would be the same type of thing that I would be doing. So. Nice. Well, we're glad to have you here. And, uh, and thanks for, for coming and talking to us. Yeah, of course. So, well, we really appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much, and we will see you guys next time. Take care.